you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders and discuss relevant topics to the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about agency entrepreneurs. Uh, You've heard me talk about this term before. Uh, It's a term of art we created. And I think last week we ended the the podcast talking about the different interviews that we're going to be doing, agency entrepreneurs being one of them. Before I get to that, I'll talk about the other uh, type of interviews we're going to be doing because we are looking for uh, relevant guests. Uh, we have a big network of our own, but uh, we're always we're always looking for guests. So first, that's an invitation. Second, uh, DOD to AEC, um, Department of Defense to Architect, Engineering, Construction. Really, really, really want to get a lot of uh, former military that have been through the gauntlet that is transitioning from the military and especially into the architect, engineering, construction um, industry uh, with the Infrastructure and Jobs Act from the Biden administration. We see a lot of opportunity uh, and, and, and really a, a huge need and gap in um, the labor force. So we want we want to be educating our transitioning veterans on one, the transition process, and two, the opportunities in the engineering construction industry. Uh, you hear me talk about PNL. Uh, obviously, in the business world, PNL is profit and loss statements. Uh, but when we talk about PNLs and leadership, I call it people and legacy. Uh, so we want to be talking. We want to widen the aperture to to really all inspirational leaders, people making an impact. Um, in different sectors, because I think leadership is one of those very cross-functional skill sets and journeys that we're all on. Uh, So any inspirational leaders that we can be uh, hosting and bringing to our audience, uh, we want to do. Return on infrastructure, uh, this whole terminology came from uh, a a conference that I was at that uh, General Duke DeLuca was speaking at and the impact that infrastructure investment has on our, our nation's economy, um, not just in jobs, but in the expansion of our, our economic capability and capacity as a nation. So thought leadership around that. And then last is agency entrepreneurs. Um, and these are uh, what I call special champions of their organizations, stewards of their mission. Um, And they are the people that despite the bureaucracy, um, which we'll get into and we'll unpack what the bureaucracy is, it's it's many things. Uh, These are the leaders inside of those organizations that despite the bureaucracy, despite maybe over-regulation, despite maybe handcuffs around them or bad organizational dynamics or just, you know, a kind of a series of unfortunate things. They continue to uh, find ways to take risks, disrupt the status quo, as we talk about in our intro, 
uh, and steward our taxpayer investments more effectively inside of those organizations. So to start off, I wanted to uh, talk about two different theories, uh, entrepreneurship theories. So there's the agency theory of entrepreneurship and there's the stewardship theory of entrepreneurship. And it, this this came up in, in my research for this topic. Agency entrepreneur really came from the fact that these leaders, you know, from from our own vernacular agency entrepreneur, these leaders that work for government agencies, but apply entrepreneurial uh, mindset. And what is that entrepreneurial mindset? I think it's a value creation mindset. I think it's a problem solving mindset. I think it's a sense of urgency. It's a can do attitude. It's not a hell no, but a how yes, do we get there? Uh, and, but in my, my research, of I, I wanted to see if anybody else was talking about agency entrepreneurs and agents agency theory and entrepreneurship came up. So what is the agency theory of entrepreneurship? I will quote this article and I will also uh, link to it in the in the show notes. But agency theory was developed in the 1980s by economist Michael Jensen at the Harvard Business School for the purposes of explaining and predicting the behaviors of investors and managers. Agency theories that distinguishes between principals, investors, and agents, managers. Uh, the former being parties that delegate responsibility for some set of actions to the latter. So principals invest their capital to agents. The agents are then given responsibility for some set of actions. For instance, entrepreneurs and managers are often the agents of investors who delegate the responsibility over a business organization. The theory's underlying assumption is that both parties are self-interested and that the interests of the principals and agents diverge or are in conflict. Therefore, agents may make decisions on behalf of principals that are not in the principal's interests, which is called an agency problem. For instance, agents may take greater risks than principals would want them to because agents are betting with the principal's capital. Agency problems are exacerbated when there is information asymmetry between principal and agents. Agents typically have better information than principals because they're in charge of day-to-day -day decisions and are usually closer to the organization than principals, who are typically investors somewhat removed from the business. Information asymmetry makes it difficult for principals to monitor the actions of agents and it is impossible for principals to design perfect contracts to handle all possible scenarios. So typical investor manager or investor operator or investor entrepreneur relationship is the investor, maybe not typical, but a, a typical form of this is an investor hands off money. They become a silent partner in the venture. They tr entrust the organization and the operation to the agent. Uh, and the point here is that one, that's that's a form of the relationship. And secondarily is the agent may not be acting with the same instincts, gut level of caution as the investor would want them to, uh, sometimes because of uh, misalignment in incentives and sometimes because the the investor is not as uh, intelligent or well-informed about what the agent is dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's 
the agency theory of entrepreneurship. Uh, let me see if there's any other worthy notes here. Agency theorists proposed outcome-based incentives as solutions to align the interests of agents with those of principals. For instance, venture capitalists will typically allow a significant number of shares in a startup to be allocated to managers and employees as incentives to ensure that they will work toward the goal of increasing the value of the company shares. So that's, that's all about aligning economic outcomes uh, between agent and investor. Juxtapose that with what is the stewardship theory of entrepreneurship? Stewardship theory was put forward by Lex Donaldson and James Davis in the, in the late 80s as an alternative to agency theory, which they viewed as having negative assumptions about managers. Agency theory views agents, that's managers and entrepreneurs, as self-interested and opportunistic and views the relationship between principals, the investors, and agents as necessarily conflicting. Agency theory is the logic behind providing managers and other employees with stock-based compensation to align the interests of the employees with those of shareholders by making the employees into shareholders. In contrast to agency theory, stewardship theory posts, po posts that managers and entrepreneurs are motivated to act in the interest of their organizations and principles. The core idea is the rewards from pro-social behavior have greater utility than individualistic or self-serving behaviors. The steward receives greater personal satisfaction when the organization is successful and therefore acts accordingly. Since stewards can be entrusted to act in accordance with the principal's interest, they should be afforded greater autonomy to act in ways that further the organization's success. Accordingly, there is little need to waste resources monitoring, bonding, or creating incentives for stewards. Such controls may actually reduce the steward's pro-social behaviors by reducing motivation, causing more frustration. Mechanisms that give stewards greater autonomy and discretion include making the CEO the chairman of the board of directors. Uh, and, and this is all talking about private sector business, but we always make the comparison of private sector business, and and I can have plenty of critics. I can criticize that thought myself uh, because private sector and public sector do have very very different um, principles or or uh, different uh, scenarios. But in the construction engineering, in the project development, uh, and in the stewardship of those missions or those organizations, I always make the comparison of private sector real estate development with public sector construction and development. Um, and that we, we as an industry supporting the public sector and our agency entrepreneurs as stewards of public sector need to treat taxpayer dollars, the money that we're entrusted with, the, with the same level of fiduciary responsibility as a in, as a developer, a, a, and that may be a bad connotation, but as a as a fiduciary is with a private investment. So, where are the places we we see or don't see that behavior? I I start with a sense of urgency um, because time is money, 
and we spend a lot of taxpayer dollars in public sector projects uh, kind of screwing around maybe and and again all with the right intent um, but as that stewardship quote talked about stewardship theory says that managers and entrepreneurs are motivated to act in the interest of their organizations and principles so stewards of government agencies uh, and what we call agency entrepreneurs and we use stewardship a lot when discussing them the core idea is that the rewards from pro-social behavior have greater utility than individualistic or self-serving behavior so it's basically saying that these individuals are more motivated by the mission's success than they are by anything else. They're loyal to the mission. And I think that we see this in study after study that financial incentives are are great rewards, but they're not what create loyalty inside of an organization. They're not what creates followership inside of an organization. There's a lot more that goes into creating a leadership culture than, than financial incentives. And I believe that if we get that right, then we have the right people. And when we have the right leaders, they also create the right stewardship mentality inside of those organizations. Uh, the steward receives greater personal satisfaction when the organization is successful and therefore acts accordingly. So because I'm getting better satisfaction out of the success of the mission, I'm going to continue to doing, doing the good behaviors, not because I made more money, not because I was recognized or rewarded, but because the mission is having more success. And, and we talk a lot about the military. Military is a wonderful place to study this. There are a lot of people that are doing great things for, uh, in my words, for God and country inside of the military, not because not because they're motivated by a bonus. Nobody gets a bonus. Matter of fact, every second lieutenant in the army that has two years in rank gets the exact same pay. Every one-star general that's been in the army for 24 years gets the exact same pay. So your performance is, and there's a lot of studies on whether they should or should not, but despite any bonus, despite any financial incentive, these leaders continue to lead and continue to act in the best interest of the organization. They continue to steward the mission. Uh, the same thing goes in public sector agencies. So here we are talking about stewardship. And then you go to the, the later part of this article, which says, since stewards can be trusted to act in accordance with the principal's interest, they should be afforded greater autonomy to act in ways that further the organization's success. Accordingly, there is little need to waste resources monitoring, bonding, or creating incentives for stewards. Such controls may actually reduce the stewards' pro-social behaviors by reducing motivation. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about bureaucracy. Because our public sector agencies and the leaders that have made the decision to to go serve the greater good inside of these agencies, giving up financial return, giving up financial incentives to go serve the mission. They're motivated, they're stewards, and then we slap handcuffs on them called federal acquisition regulations as an example. And 
that is what leads to uh, reducing the steward's pro-social behaviors by reducing motivation, right? They end up, uh, I'm, I'm kind of spitballing this, but they end up fighting internally against their own bureaucracy with their motivation instead of continuing to advance the mission of uh, of the organization or to advance the stewardship. And the amount of of wasting of resources, monitoring, bonding, or creating incentives, like I think we can all think of examples of where resources are wasted, uh, monitoring um, and and creating over redundancy in controls um, as opposed to delegating down to the, you know, whatever appropriate leadership level decision-making and budgeting and resource management and all that, that should go on. We continue to handcuff every department. And I'm not saying, you know, engineering and construction is one department. Contracting is another department, legal, uh, resource management or budgeting. Um, and then, you know, the, the mission itself, right. A, a, a healthcare facility, as an example, cannot say to the facilities department and make the business case at the campus level, or let's use a VA campus or hospital level, the business case for their project and why that project makes sense for the mission. Um, and it's, it's not out of, it's not out of bad intent. Federal acquisition regulation was created to help organizations, you know, create fair competition, have policy around procurement, have policy around, uh, you know, stopping people from cutting corners because the, the, the far side of entrepreneurship is bootstrapping and you can, you can take on too much risk. Um, and that's not what, the public sector uh, should do. We should not be uh, risky with our taxpayer dollars, but we should be smart. We should be diligent and we should be stewards. Um, outside of public sector, this happens in corporate America too. I, I imagine that, you know, we have a lot of big, uh, large engineering or AE partners uh, and I hear the stories all the time of them fighting inward to get a go, no go on investing in a pursuit. Um, and it, it, again, all of these controls are put in place just like the army has standard operating procedures to ensure that, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel all the time, but there's, there's such thing as too little and there's such thing as too much um, SOP or or policy. And at the end of the day, you can't policy behavior. So uh, that's not that's not the way to motivate. The way you the way you motivate is good leadership and good hiring. Get the right people doing the right job in the right seats. Um, so. It, that's that's a starting point there. The last piece I'll talk about here is it's not just in the government, right? I I dealt with a bank um, fraud. We're going to have a, a a risk cyber risk interview uh, here in the next quarter, and 
it's a huge it's a huge risk going on. So we've dealt with some fraud. I'm on a nonprofit. I'm dealing with a fraud issue, bank checks, and I'm dealing with a bank. And the bureaucracy of this bank, large bank, has too much policy. I'm using the local branch. And they're like, all right, we have to talk to corporate on that. We have to talk to corporate on that. I leave the bank. I, I call into corporate. I wait an hour and a half on a uh, on a call hitting two, then three, then seven to get to the right department. I'm, I get to the wrong department. They make me wait on hold for another 20 minutes. All of this just creating frustration for me as the customer. Uh, and then I finally get to somebody they talk me through half the issue and then I have to go back to the branch for the other half of the issue. And then we finally get to a solution and they say it's going to be probably 56 to, they said they have to, they have to um, hedge how long it's going to take to, to implement an additional security protocol, but it could take up to 56 days. I'm saying to myself, 56 days, the bank that I'm dealing with down the street implemented this within 24 hours. How does it take 56 days? And then you're charging me fee upon fee upon fee and all this. All of that to say this frontline leader who is trying to be loyal to the organization's mission, but they're handcuffed by the the business practice or the the regulation of the big bank and again the point of the story is not to say federal acquisition regulation should or should not exist obviously we need to have we have to have policy around fair procurement i don't know that it has to be i should have done the research how many pages but and I don't think it has to be a policy of biblical proportion. I think it has to give intent. And the intent is to maintain fair competition to um, and to really control the taxpayer's dollar or investment. What it ends up being is creating cottage industries around controlling and overseeing and auditing instead of enabling the frontline leaders to go execute their mission on behalf of, of the organization. Uh, so what's the takeaway? I think that the overall takeaway, because we're talking about agency entrepreneurs, is first kudos to those who are doing a great job, continuing to be stewards despite the frustrations of dealing with internal bureaucracy. Two, to encourage anybody that that recognizes internal bureaucracy for what it is. And if it's not value add to potentially take steps or to create tasks for task force within your agency, within your organization to try and make positive change. I, I don't think anybody, you know, this is the optimist in me. We can either accept the world as reality or we can be optimistic that we can make a change. Agency entrepreneurs accept the world, uh, they, they continue to be optimistic that they can make a change and make an impact. Or they, they work around it and accept the, the battlefield for what it is, but then continue to, to work around it. So I want to encourage leaders to look at your organizations, look at what your frontline, forward-facing, client-facing, customer-facing, mission-facing employees are dealing with. And 
are your policies enabling them to serve the mission, to advance the mission, to steward taxpayer dollars, or are you actually just creating more and more waste and less and less motivation inside of your organization? So that's the takeaway. Um, like I said in the beginning, we are looking for interviews. Uh, hopefully you're getting value out of this. Uh, if there's if there's topics you want me to cover, I am happy to do so. I know you don't want to hear just from me every week. Uh, I can get excited and talk about just about anything in our industry and, and maybe outside of our industry and certainly anything leadership. Uh, if you're not following us in our email, I, uh, I put out a weekly email. Uh, you can just check us out at www.mcfaglobal.com. That's www.m as in Mike, C as in Charlie, F as in Foxtrot, A as in alphaglobal.com. Um, if you're enjoying the show, please do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. Um, in the meantime, send us your recommendations for, uh, for interview guests. Uh, again, DOD to AEC. I, I'm hammering on this. I, I Let me, I'll, I'll go off script here. Uh, DOD to AEC, anybody that's military in the construction industry, we, I got to get you on the podcast. I don't, I, I don't care if I'm doing a podcast every day for the next year. You have to talk about your transition story. You have to talk about your struggle. You have to talk about if, if you struggled. I, I, most people I've talked to have, some, have somehow struggled when they take the uniform off. And there's a lot of people out there. There's a suicide epidemic going on right now because people aren't finding meaning and mission after the military. Uh, the engineering construction industry, the Infrastructure Jobs Act, there is so much opportunity in our industry. We have to educate our soldiers, our senior enlisted, and our officer corps that this is a place, you know, this is an industry that I think project management, construction management, it, it really relates to the military hierarchy and there's just nothing but opportunity in their future. Um, and there's enough of us from the military that I think a lot of our core values translate, um, not just at my company, at a ton of companies, not just at better known companies, at private sector companies, but uh, first and foremost, you know, veterans, we have to put our, our arms around other veterans. And I will make a pitch uh, for those listening to the end of this. We launched the Friendly Strife Foundation. I always say it at MCFA. We're willing to put our arm around any veteran and help them help them with their transition. The foundation was created to put bear hugs around those soldiers who really, really need help. Uh, you know, I've had soldiers that have been dealing with drug and alcohol issues, uh, and we've gotten them back on their feet with, you know, with 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour of our time can change the trajectory of somebody's life. It's not just money. It's about being available. It's about, it's about telling your your friends and your, your veterans that you're available, but we've got to fricking fix this, um, this suicide epidemic. Uh, I, I, we can't do enough, but, but we can try and do what we can. Um, so if I can help anybody in any way, if this is the call to action, if you've been struggling with it, 
call me, email me. My number, my cell phone number is 856-305-3195. Totally off script. Uh, hopefully I'm not getting junk mail or junk text, but uh, please reach out to me and and let's figure out how to how to help you transition, how to help you get the help you need. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening and have a great weekend.